Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us the Jews' false security. Today, we'll see the Jews' hypocrisy in their condemnation of the Gentiles. I would like you to turn your Bibles with me, please, to the Book of Romans. And uh, I want to read from chapter 2. We turn to Romans chapter 2. And I want to read from verse number 1 of chapter 2. And we will come back to verse number 1 this morning and verse number 2 for our sermon. Notice what Paul says in verse number 1 of chapter 2. He says, Therefore... Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same thing. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds let's pray Father we invoke your presence here this morning we claim the promise of your word that where two or three are gathered in the name that there thou will be in the midst. We thank you for all that has preceded the preaching of the word. We thank you for the lovely songs that were sung. We thank you for the special. We thank you for the rendition on the piano. Uh, we thank you for the spirit and the camaraderie that is here. Uh, we thank you for the exchange of greetings among our people. And we know, Lord, this morning that we just didn't come here to socialize. We came here for the distinct purpose of hearing what the Word of God has to say to us this morning. Lord, it is difficult when we take the Word to know the specific need that is represented in the congregation. Uh, help us to understand that our individual need is not the collective need. And therefore help us to be willing to allow the Lord to speak to others, specifically to his word, and help us to learn from what the word of God says to preach word this morning. We pray that your spirit who indwells every believer, that he would uh, be the teacher this morning, that he would be the one that confirms the truth that is preached, because he is the spirit of truth. And I pray this morning that he would do the great work of illumination. 
that is so vitally important in grasping the meaning of scripture. Lord, help us to remember that the natural man understandeth not the things of the Spirit of God, that they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But we have got the Spirit of God, and we know the mind of God, because the Spirit of God interprets the mind of God, which is given in the Word of God. And so I pray this morning that the Spirit of God would not only speak to believers, but we've Pray that he would have enough ammunition, enough ballistics to take the truth and convince the person here this morning that does not come to that point of decision and trusting the Lord. I plead your help and I ask for your enablement. I ask, Father, at this time that you will not only hear, but you will also perform the request. That we have brought before you. We surrender and commit this service into your hand. And we ask that your will would be done this morning. In this service. In this ministry. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday morning. We recommence our series in the book of Romans. By coming to the book of chapter 2. And verse number 1. Chapter 2 of Romans begins a new section in Paul's epistle. The Apostle Paul is going to shift his focus away from the Gentile world. And now he's going to target the Jew and bring his message to the Jewish nation. By the way, this follows logically from all that Paul has been saying. The whole design of Paul's arguments as he marshals the facts and presents his case about human guilt... It is, only, it is vitally important that Paul not only show that we Gentiles are guilty before God and under the wrath of God, but it's equally important to show to the Jew that he's not an exception. So what we have here is Paul being, uh, bringing a case against the Jewish nation. By the time Paul finishes chapter 1 dealing with the Gentiles, he gives us one verdict. Guilty as charged, case closed, the Gentiles are without excuse. But notice as he begins to deal with the Jew, he says also the same thing. He's without excuse. And so Paul is going to now bring his case and deal with the Jews in these matters. Now we've told you before that one of the great things about the book of Romans is the unusual forensic skills that Paul has in executing this case. It's, it's a marvelous thing to sit down and read and to follow the logical arguments that Paul uses. And then one get a semblance of the genius and the brilliance of this man in executing this case. And I think when you look at the case of the Jews, you find that this is the same. Now, the reason why Paul is going to prove to the Jew that he is guilty before God is simple. The whole message of the book of Romans is that God has a plan and that God's plan is called a rescue plan. And God's rescue plan is something called the gospel. And the book of Romans is is showing to us the absolute indispensable need of the gospel. The Gentile needs the gospel because the Gentile is guilty before God. He's under the wrath of God and the Gentile needs to be saved. 
He needs Christ and he needs the gospel. But remember the Jews are God's people. They are the Old Testament chosen ones of God. And they carried a feather in their cap believing that somehow they were unique. Somehow they were special. And that what applied to the Gentiles did not apply to them. And what Paul does in chapter 2 is to show that not only were the Jews guilty, but they carried a greater guilt than the Gentiles because what? They had greater light and they had greater privileges and greater opportunities. So if the Gentiles needed the gospel, much more the Jew. And that is why you find that every time Paul speaks of the gospel, he says to who first? To the Jew first. Now the Jew will be offended by that. He wanted to hear to the Gentiles first. But Paul is saying to the because the Jew is in a greater position of guilt. Because they had far more light, far more privileges, and far more opportunities. But the incredible thing about the Jew is that he lived in what you might call a complacent world of self-delusion. And that self-delusion was grounded in his smug, false security. He thought he had things in his favor, and these things ingratiated him towards God. And remember last time we mentioned that his false self-security was grounded or rooted in, in three things. We mentioned, first of all, his ethnicity. Or his nationalism. Because he was a Jew, he automatically thought he was in the kingdom. By the way, that's why when John came preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, the Jews couldn't understand that. And so they got rid of John. And the moment they got rid of John, then Jesus came preaching what? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And again, they got rid of him too. Because the Jew was so snug in their complacent world of self-delusion. That they could not countenance the concept that they needed to repent and they needed to get into the kingdom by an act of faith. So nationalism, ethnicity. We Christian because we Antiguan. Or we Christian because we American. Or we Christian because we English. We, you know, or we Christian because mommy is Christian and daddy is Christian. It doesn't work that way, my friend. But you see, when people are building their life on a false hope, and they have a false security, they become very smug and smug in their ways, and they don't have a tendency to listen. They, they, they hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't see. Because they, to themselves, are perfectly okay. The second uh, false basis was the matter of legalism, the law. Remember that the Jews were the repository of the law. They're the only people that were given the, the law, the Ten Commandments. No other nation on planet earth had as good rules and regulations and principles as the Jew. And they became very smug in feeling that somehow God had marked them off, made them a special people and given them the law that he had given to nobody. So they're, they're depending on the fact that they are the, the, the repositories of the law. And then the third thing we pointed out to you was the matter of ritualism. See? What is called circumcision. Now why anybody would feel circumcision would make you belong to the Lord can only be explained by the fact that it put you under the Abrahamic covenant. 
And so they felt very, very special in that regard. So these are the three special features that put the Jew in a position where he felt he was perfectly fine before the Lord. By the way, these kindnesses and these graces of God should have humbled the Jew. But instead of humbling him, he developed a cocky kind of pride and self-conceit. That somehow he was better than anybody else. And did not need the gospel as well. And so the attitude that the Jews developed towards all non-Jewish people and the non-Jewish world, the Gentile world. They looked down at the Gentile world with contempt, with disdain. And as Paul said in this chapter, with condemnation. They were out and they were in. Now by the way, no one better understood this attitude than the Apostle Paul. Because you remember before the Apostle Paul was a Christian, what was he? He was a Pharisee. And he had this same cocky attitude towards the Gentile world. So Paul understood it and that is why I believe God used Paul especially to deal with this problem. Because Paul can say to the Jew, I'm arguing from what I know because I've been there. I had the same attitude. I thought the same way. I had the same concept until the, the veil was removed, the scale. And then I began to realize not only are we Jews guilty, but we are more guilty than the Gentiles because we had more light. So Paul is going to deal with this matter. And may I add one other feature here. I don't think anybody suffered more at the hand of the Jews because of their attitude towards the Gentiles than the Apostle Paul. They hated him because he was carrying a gospel that talked about God embracing the Gentiles. And if you go to the book of Acts, you will find the Apostle Paul's Not only feels the venom and not only feels the animosity. But in the very real sense the Apostle Paul comes under the power of the Jewish hatred. And so you find in the book of Acts you find threats. You find beatings. You find imprisonment. You find stoning. You find riots. You find near escapes. And in addition to that you find a general rancor. Everywhere he went the Apostle Paul faced this problem With the Jews. Now remember that last week. We began to look at this whole matter of Jewish attitude. By looking at verse number one. And we looked at three things uh, last week from verse number one. First of all we look at the issue of identity. Who is the man that Paul says is inexcusable who judges. We talked about two schools of thought. We showed you that the person there as far as identity has to do with the Jew. Secondly we talked about his audacity. The Jewish pride, uh, so that they can look down and condemn uh, the Gentiles. And then thirdly, we look at what was all behind it, what we call false security. And uh, we dealt with that last week. And then when we come to close, the fourth thing that I did last week was to talk about the contemporary application of that passage to us today. And I drew five principles from verse number one. Let me remind, them, remind you again what we talked about last uh, Sunday on that verse. We talked about false security. And we said that false security blinds us in, in five ways. First of all, we talked about it, it creates a prejudice in us so that when we read or when we hear scripture, 
we're very selective in what we accept. Uh, the Jews read Romans chapter 1 and didn't see it applied to them. See? Uh, I mean, it's impossible that you can read Romans chapter 1 and you say it doesn't apply to me. But that was a Jew. We see that when you have a false security, you miss so much and you figure it's for the other sisters, for the brother. I mentioned last week, people coming to the church and said, I hope that person's here today. He needs to hear this, you know. And often we don't realize that we're the ones that really need to hear exactly what the pastor is saying and not the other person. But the problem is we are so focused on the other person, we forget our real condition. That's what false security does. Number two, I pointed out to you that it helps to establish what we call labels and categories. He's a Jew. I'm a Gentile. He's a Methodist. He's a Baptist. And these categories create such division and that we don't understand that we're Christians. We're Christian. And the Bible speaks. And then number three, we talk about applying scriptures to others and not to ourselves. Number four, we talk about building our relationship on a false security. And number five, we talk about separating doctrine from life. And what we mean by that is this. We need to distinguish between knowing truth and practicing truth. And that was the problem with the Jew. They had all this truth. But when it came to practice, this is where everything uh, broke down. Now, I want to, this morning, take up again verse number one. And I want to look at another topic. Last time we talked about false security. Uh, This morning, I want to talk about what I call the one-eye monster. And the one-eye monster is what I call hypocrisy. I want to deal with that this morning and deal with this whole topic of hypocrisy. The Apostle Paul, in dealing with the Jews and trying to show them their utter guilt, the very first thing that Paul does in verse number one is to point out the hypocrisy of the Jews. And here's the hypocrisy of the Jews. They look at the Gentiles, they see how the Gentiles live, and they say, what the Gentiles are doing is wrong, and I condemn the Gentiles, they ought to go to hell. But here's the problem. While they are saying that the Gentiles are wrong and doing wrong and going to hell, guess what? They're doing the same thing, but they can't see it. You know why? They're hypocrites. I call it the one I monster so the very first thing that paul does in verse number one is to bring to the jewish attention their blatant hypocrisy you notice what he says therefore thou art inexcusable O man whoever thou art that judges for wherein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself for thou judgest and doest the same and what i want to show you this morning is that the Apostle Paul is going to show these Jews that the reason why they are guilty before God is because of this hypocrisy that the Jews have. Now, now you remember, in the first, in the last half of chapter 1, those of you who have been going through the, the book with us, remember the Apostle Paul drew up an awful list a catalog of evil that the Gentiles practice. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, in the last section, he, he talks about 21 different distinct sins 
that characterized the Gentile world. And when the Jews saw that, they said, yes, this kind of behavior is intolerable and they're under the judgment of God. But the the point of Paul's indictment in verse number one is this. Paul now says to the Jews, the same thing you condemn, the same thing you are doing. Now it's fascinating for those of you who would take the time to go through the Old Testament. And if you were to read the prophetic writings, when God sends his messenger to the Jews to speak to the Jews, one of the things that you will discover that again and again the prophets would list the sins of the nation. And what will fascinate you that if you compare the lists of the sins the prophet mentioned, and you compare it with a list that Paul gives in chapter 1 of Romans, you'll find that there's hardly any difference between the two. In other words, the Jewish people sank to such foul sins that frequently they too became deplorable before God. And God threatened them with judgment because of the sinful way in which they live. Now I want to just show you that for just a moment. uh, So you can see that when Paul said that, you know, you condemn people for doing something, but you turn around and do the same thing. Let me use an illustration to show you. And I'm using this illustration because we are currently studying the book of Ezekiel. And you remember that in Ezekiel chapter 22... The Lord told Ezekiel to go to the nation and declare their abominations. List their sins and catalog the offenses of the people of Israel. And in chapter 22, the prophet goes before the people and he he talks about their abominations. And let me list what charges he brings against them. Number one, he says that you're a bloody city. Seven times in three verses... He says the city is a bloody city. So what I'm saying is, here is Israel where there is murder and violence and mayhem. But Paul also mentions in his list, murder or the Gentiles. So they're condemning this practice, but yet the prophet is saying one of the offenses of the nation is murder. Secondly, in verse 3, he talks about idolatry. In chapter 1, Paul spends tremendous time talking about the Gentiles turning to idolatry and worshipping animals and beasts and fowls, etc., etc. But when you come to chapter th- uh, verse 3 of chapter 22, Paul condemns the nation of Israel for idolatry. As a matter of fact, Paul says, in every city you go, at the gates of the city, there's an idol. And then Paul says, if you go into the mountains on the hills, there you've got idols. And then Paul says, if you go into the very temple of God, there you have idols. These are the same people that are looking down at the Gentiles in, in chapter 1 and saying, yeah, they ought to be condemned. They ought to be damned. If that's the kind of lifestyle they live, the kind of way they worship, ought to be damned. But the prophet Ezekiel says to them, there's not only violence and murder and mayhem among you, but it's also idolatry. And then uh, the, the prophet Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel talks about Political and judicial corruption. Bribery. Scandals. It was not only in the religious world where there was corruption, but it was also in the political realm there was corruption. And then he goes on further in verse number 7. He talks about disrespect for parents. This is not the first generation that doesn't listen to parents. 
Romans chapter 1, Paul said, disobedient appearance is one of the marks of the Gentile world. But in Ezekiel, he reminds the people that you had a, a generation as well that wouldn't listen to parents who thought they were wiser than parents. And then we come down in verse number 7, he talks about xenophobia. You know what xenophobia is, don't you? Dislike of foreigners. That's not true of Antigua. Xenophobia. And, and the prophet condemns Israel for that as well. See? The way you treat strangers. The way you treat foreigners. See? So if you think the Gentiles are bad, Paul is saying you're guilty of the same thing. Then he talk about the abuse of widows and fatherless. Uh, by the way, we just had a meeting there with the Minister of Social Transformation in the, um, in the, the, the place down there by Bargain Center. I forgot the, the center. And uh, she too was lamenting the mistreatment of women. Okay. Uh, the mistreatment of children. And then he went on and he talked about the matter of disrespect for holy things. Rather than being in the Lord's house or the Lord's day, they're doing everything on the Lord's day. Does that happen today? Yes. <laughs> and he talked about the matter that uh, they were not even concerned about for the, 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 the institutions. Total disrespect. And then he talked about slander. How people assassinate other people's character. Of course, that doesn't happen, does it? And then he talked about lewdness. And that's the word that he used. Lewdness. Talk about obscenity. Unspeakable indecencies that were practiced in Israel. By the way, the prophet is not talking to the Gentiles. He's talking to Israel. And he's cataloging. God says, go and declare to the people their abominations. And Ezekiel said, here is a list of things that God holds against you. These are the things that you're doing that is wrong. And when you compare that list with the one in Romans, one thing you discover is not much different. And then in verse number 11 of uh, Ezekiel, the other thing that he condemns is what is called incest. Uh, again, at the meeting we had, social transformation, uh, we just had this week, the minister talked about the whole matter of incest. Daddy sleeping with the, his child, see, and, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, she talked about ch uh, mothers who close a blind eye with the man that is sleeping with a daughter in order to keep food on the table. See. All of these things. I had a lady who came to me afterwards and we started to talk. And she wanted to get into that dark world of things she, as she had gone through. And I said, you know what? Go and talk to the minister. Tell him the whole story. See if he can help you. So it's, okay. it's, it's one thing to say the Gentiles are committing these foul atrocities. But when you go through the Old Testament and you listen to the prophets, you see that there's not much difference between Israel and the Gentiles. Now if we had time this morning, we can talk about bribery and usury and extortion that the prophet talks about. But do you know that earlier up in the book of uh, Ezekiel, he talks about such things as stubbornness and hardness, a willful disobedience against God, and a total disregard for the prophetic word. See? When you take all of these matters into consideration, you discover that as far as uh, Paul is concerned, the Jews who were condemning the Gentiles were guilty of something called hypocrisy. They were doing the same thing they were condemning the Gentiles for. By the way, if you leave the Old Testament and you come into the New Testament, 
You, you remember the war our Lord had with the Jews during his time of preaching, three and a half years of ministering at every juncture, wherever he was trying to explain to them their real problem. They fought against him. And you remember that he had some very stern words about them. You know what he says about them in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33? He said, you are a adulterous generation. That's the master himself. That is his assessment of the Jews. You are an adulterous generation. He went on and said in, in Matthew chapter 3, you are a generation of vipers, you're snakes. A bunch of snakes. That's how he called the Jews. In Matthew 12 and Matthew and Mark 8, he said that they were wicked and sinful. And then in Matthew 23, he said they were proud, arrogant, and hypocritical. That was our Lord's assessment of the Jews. They were hypocrites. Now, could I tell you this? Did you know that our Lord's incisive analysis of the Jews in his day did not result in repentance? You know what it resulted in? It resulted in their plotting the man to put him to death to silence him. That's the Jew for you. And now they're looking down at the Gentiles and saying, listen, Paul, we don't need this gospel. We're already in the kingdom. See? And besides, we're Jews. We don't carry the same guilt as the Gentiles. See? We're God's special people. And Paul says, I want to tell you something this morning. You're just a big hypocrite. See? You condemn the Gentiles, but you do the same thing the Gentiles do. So what does that make you? See? He doesn't use the word hypocrite. But anyone reading verse number one could put the word hypocrite above that verse, do you not? And hypocrite, hypocrisy is what I call the, 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 the one eye monster. It only sees one side, it can't see the other side. See? It has, you ever see a man with one patch over one eye? You only see one eye? He can't see the two sides? That's what hypocrisy is, a one eye monster. Now, by the way, in verse number 24 of this same book, Romans chapter 2, and verse 24. The Apostle Paul sums up that hypocrisy in verse number 24. Know what he says in verse 24. He says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, when the Gentiles look at you, who claim to be the people of God, who claim to be in a special relationship with God, who uh, believe that everybody is different and you are special. He said, when the Gentiles look at that and they say to themselves, well, if this is what it means to be the people of God and to have the blessing of God and the benediction of God upon him, if this is what it means to be a peculiar people, hey, we don't want it. We just don't want it. See? And as a result, Paul is saying, the name of God is blaspheme. The Gentiles look at the Jews and said, if that is what being a child of God is, I would rather be a child of the devil. Count me out. See, This is Paul's assessment of them. Listen, hypocrisy has no friends. There's nothing people despise more than a hypocrite. Who says one thing and does the same thing and condemns that very thing in other people. But he can't see 
that he does the same thing. This was true of the Old Testament. This is true of the Pharisees. Uh, the Lord said that they made people twice the, 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 the ch- children of hell. They're not going in. They're keeping people from going in as well. And it had to do with the fact that they, they would say, do as I do, do as I say, but not as I do. See? And they would use religion to enrich themselves. See? It is true of the Western world today, by the way. I want to say this. The Western countries cannot understand why the Eastern countries hate them so much. They can't figure it out yet. And here's the argument. We're such good countries. We let you come in. You know, whenever the world has a crisis, we send our planes, we send our ships. You know, we, we supply food, there's a major crisis. We are such nice people. Why in the world you hate us so much? But here's why the East hates the West. You see, the East cannot divorce religion from government. It's integrated. A Muslim president brings the Muslim religion into his government. That's why they want what's called Sharia law. They see you can't be a Muslim and say, this is my Muslim life here, this is my family, this is my financial life, this is my church life. So keep, keep Allah out of my family, uh, you know, keep Allah out of my business. Life. Keep Allah out. They can't understand that. If they are serving Allah and Allah is the God of the universe, Allah must be brought into government too, which is quite sensible. But you see, when they look at the West, which claim to be Christian countries, and then you get this cultural invasion through the television set, and you see the West is so corrupt. That we got gay marches where gay people are on the streets claiming their rights and they got lesbians and they got all this kind. Listen to me, wait a minute. What, what kind of a, you, you are corrupt. And that is why the West cannot understand the East. Because the West has said religion belongs to the church. Keep religion in the church. Don't bring it into business. Don't bring it into government. Keep it in the church. And the East can't understand that. See? And you know why they can't understand it? Because they think the West are hypocrites. That you claim to believe in the true and the living God, but you keep the true and the living God out of government. So you, your government can tolerate any evil and endorse any evil. And they said to you, you are Satan. We got to get rid of you. That's the big battle. And the foolish politicians don't understand that even today. Don't understand it. It's the ideology. But it's the hypocrisy that they see in the West that drives them to want to do away with us, to see us as hypocrites. And by the way, is that not also true of the backslider? The backslider is one that the world can't stand and the church can't stand. He's not comfortable in the church. He's not comfortable in the world. Nobody likes him. He has no friend because he's a hypocrite. And the world sees that and the world has no time for hypocrisy. Is that not true of the televangelists that we see? I'm reading a book by um, John MacArthur called Strange Fire. And uh, John MacArthur goes through that book and he documents all the evil of a lot of these people that are on television. It will shock you. 
it would totally, totally shock you. Can you imagine a man using his prophetic voice to get a woman to undress, to sleep with her? <laughs> That's what's going on. I'm a prophet. And the Lord told me that you are special and I need to see you. So in the name of the Lord, I say to you, undress. Foolish women undress. <laughs> I, 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 that's what's going on. Most of us remember names like Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart. Yes. Yes. And you know what? We can't stand those names. They, 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 they rub us the wrong way because here's Jimmy Swaggart, a man with a golden tongue and the silver lips. He's the one that exposed Jim Baker. But while he's exposing Jim Baker, he's meeting with prostitutes. The hypocrisy of it. And by the way, his ministry didn't end. He still has a, a, a ministry in the States. It's not as global as it used to be. But he told his people, the Lord tell me this is not in your business. I must not leave the ministry. So he is now ministering today. Hypocrisy. And those of us and those of the world who saw that and knew about that, I don't know how many people's minds were turned away from the gospel when they saw that. See? Hypocrisy. This is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here. Uh, by the way, even in our own circle, there is a pastor in um, St. Thomas, a guy from Jamaica. Uh, the school asked him to come and teach, and he brought his wife to Jamaica. And they're teaching in the school in Jamaica, and guess what? He does everything to get the green card for her and everything. And one day, guess what? She gets up and leaves him and flies out to the States and tells him he's foolish. He's just he foolish. she gone up there and she married somebody else. Now, when the world sees that, what kind of attitude do they think? I mean, uh, these are Baptists. These are Christians. These are suppo he's supposed to be a, 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 uh, a theology professor. He's supposed to have things together. The poor brother is still teaching at the school. He's still pastoring a church. His wife has found solace in the arms of another man. See, see. But imagine that how she used him. To get from Jamaica, to get a green card. And the moment she got a green card, whoo, she's gone off. And left him holding an empty bag. The world can't stand hypocrisy. Paul couldn't stand it. And that is why he's trying to drive home the fact that these Jews are guilty before God because they're guilty of the grossest form of hypocrisy. They are looking down their noses and condemning the Gentiles and saying, yes, they ought to be damned, Paul. They're under the wrath of God, Paul. And you can't say it too strong, Paul. I agree with you. I endorse. I cast my vote with you. They're all to be damned. And then Paul said, you didn't understand what I said. I said, the wrath of God is against all ungodly and unrighteous. You see, the Jews didn't hear the word all. They just hear Gentiles. See? The hypocrisy of that. Now, by the way, fascinating thing about hypocrisy is that hypocrisy blinds us to the truth about ourselves. You know, we can see it so clearly in other people, but we have some difficulty in seeing it 
in ourselves. And by the way, when other people point it out to us, the funny thing about us is that we always find some explanation or some excuse where we talk about extenuating circumstances. Now the same thing, you know. The same thing we see in others, but when it is brought to our attention, it is always something, it's a little bit different. You know why? Because it's with us. It's a terrible thing, this matter of hypocrisy. Now, this morning, I want to use uh, three simple contemporary examples of this matter so you can see uh, that it's not just something that relates to the Jews and relates to the Gentiles, but it also relates to the 21st century world. Let's look at hypocrisy in three areas. First of all, I want to look at it in politics. Secondly, I want to look at it in, 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 in what is called labor relations. And then thirdly, I want to look at it in regards to our personal lives. Let's look at it for just a moment. Let's take politics. Now, there's no greater hypocrisy than in the realm of politics. In Antigua, you've got two major parties. The country is divided around a fault line. You've got the UPP on one side. You've got the labor on the other side. And these two can never meet. The labor people are adamant. They are faithful and loyal. Uh, the UPP are faithful and loyal. So what you have is a divided Antigua. A real divided Antigua. By the way, it has not only divided Antigua politically. It divides Antigua religiously. There are churches where there is virtually political war. Political war. There are churches and they have been split over politics. If you don't know that. But consider for just a moment the hypocrisy and how it applies to politics. Take labor for just a moment. If you go to a labor meeting... Uh, you will hear the Labour Party say that the UPP are in it for themselves. You will hear them say that they're against the, the progress of the country. And you will hear them say that they're more concerned about their own personal interests than the national interests. But then you will hear them say, but we are the altruistic party. See? We don't think about ourselves, we think about the country. We put country first. But then you go to the UPP meeting. And you know what you hear? You hear the same thing. Labor is about themselves. They don't think about the national interest. They just think about their own interest. But we are the altruistic party. We're the country controlling for the whole part. Here's the problem. They can only see it from their side. Every single one of them can only see it from their side. And the reason why they can only see it from their side is because they are looking at it from ill will and self-interest. And that blinds them to see the totality of the situation, to understand there's not much difference between the parties. And I repeat, there's not much difference between the parties. I only hear one amen. <laughs> I know there are others who will not say amen. But I'm just using the illustration to say to you there's a lot of uh, hypocrisy in the matter. Someone has said that six and a half a dozen are the same. Right? You've heard that before? Six and a half a dozen the same? <laughs> That's true of the parties. <laughs> but what, what I'm trying to say to you that this one eye monster called hypocrisy 
only allows us to see the bad in the other person or the good in ourselves. It's never able to, to take a broad view. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy continues to show us the areas where we should look for hypocrisy in our own lives. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.